This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Joined on the line by political commentator Neil Farrow. Neil, happy 2020. Happy 2020 to you, James. Let's start with the political tea leaves for the year. What do you think is going to happen with the federal government's religious discrimination legislation? Will it pass the Senate? Well, I'm hopeful it would die in the ditch, which is probably where it belongs. But look, I think it's very unfortunate legislation. It's it's a bit touch and go. Um, I'm not sure and I can't see the tea leaves through this one, unfortunately. I'm, I'm very hopeful, obviously, that the legislation doesn't go through, but I really think we'll have to step up for a fight potentially almost as large as marriage equality in order to convince some of the crossbenchers that it's not a good idea. So feeling a little bit uncertain about that one. What's your reading of the mainstream media's reaction to the government's legislation? I mean, it doesn't seem that positive to me. Surely that must be a factor with a populist right-wing government. Well, I think the mainstream media has actually been uh, quite objective on this and, and, and their views have ranged from, you know, why is it necessary, what's the point of this, through to a lot of media outlets now realising that it isn't just the LGBTI community that will be affected by this, but single women, people of colour, people of different ethnicities and cultural backgrounds. You know, there's a, there's a whole multitude of people that could be affected by the religious discrimination bill. And when you're getting sort of slightly mainstream commentators and, and quite high-profile Australians are to this is the equivalent of Australia's apartheid bill. Um, you've got to wonder whether the government's still going to insist on pushing it through. But then the conservative right of the Liberal Party definitely seems to hold sway, um, particularly if you have a look, for instance, around climate change and, and the internal arguments that are happening there. So I think it's a watch this space, but we've really got to remain vigilant. I think we've got to be politically active and contact and engage with our local MPs and, and really reach out beyond the LGBTI community and recognise that this will impact you know, single mums, this will impact de facto couples, anyone who uh, doesn't meet the very narrow definition of uh, what religion expects for a family could be impacted by this bill. You mentioned climate change. Of course, the Prime Minister's woeful performance regarding the fires and pissing off to Hawaii has certainly dented his popularity and polarised the electorate further. Is it the beginning of a downward spiral or will he recover? Look, I think there's two schools of thoughts thought over this. Um, if you have a look at what happened with George W. Bush after Cyclone Katarina in the US, he never really recovered from actions that were, were probably actually better than Morrison's actions in relation to the bushfires in Australia. It will be difficult to see how he can recover because during times of crisis, you really need sort of empathy, understanding. These are skills that people, a lot of people inherently have. It, it can't be solved by a marketing situation. And I think, you know, the bushfires had a, a personal effect on me and my family. My mum was trapped in Batemans Bay for almost seven days where she lives. And, and this is a situation where there was no food, no water, no power, sewage pumping stations failing, governments not knowing what they're doing. And, and you know, you, you expect these things in a developing country, but the fact that there were no generators brought in and very little contact and internet back and Wi-Fi up, you know, I think a lot of Australians are quite critical of a little bit of the too little, too late and, and a little bit of it being... Almost as if um, Morrison was playing his fiddle while uh, Australia burnt in lieu to Nero uh, playing his fiddle while Rome burnt. So, How's your mum doing now? She's actually with me in Melbourne at the moment, so she's staying with me for a couple of weeks. Uh, she was with my sister for a little while in Sydney, but, you know, it was it was a very hard um, week or 10 days knowing that, you know, you're conserving batteries, it's difficult to get in contact. My sister and I couldn't get in, she couldn't get out. So I really feel for all of the Australians who were impacted much more than us. You know, we're very lucky the fire came close to mum's home, but um, she and, and the house survived. But for many thousands of Australians and, and many billions of our wildlife, um, that's not the case. 
What are your mum's thoughts on the Prime Minister's performance when he pissed off to Hawaii and also his belated actions when he returned? Well, look, it's quite interesting. Despite my uh, my progressive tilt on politics, my mum is actually quite a swing voter. So uh, she and I have had some very vocal discussions and disagreements over the years uh, over her political views. Cause they differ from mine on quite a few things. I suspect she did actually vote for the Liberal Party at the last election. Uh, after the actions over the bushfires, there was definitely a few swear words dropped uh, with his name in it and a few things of note that, you know, she's never going to vote for him ever again. So, you know, if, if that's a... Pretty cool, pretty typical swinging voter, and, and I think she's voted the way the federal government's gone in almost every election. Um, I hope, from my side of things, that's an indication that a lot of people are feeling the same way. Why do you think the Prime Minister read the electorate so badly? Is it because the 2019 election result meant the bar has been lowered so low politically here in Australia, the government just thinks it's made of Teflon? Made of Teflon, I think the public is increasingly uh, tiring of getting angry, and you know, you know, there's only so much anger you can have, and there's so much knowledge and content that's coming across our feeds and our media. We don't know what to believe or what to trust, and and so you know, I think that there's a fatigue setting in across the electorate, and the government. The government is definitely trying to amplify that. And, and the other thing is that his, the three-word slogans don't quite work in times of crisis. You know, we've re- reserted to a new one, which is, you know, we will meet and beat our Kyoto targets uh, over climate change. And he was really dragged kicking and screaming at the table uh, to even admit that climate change had a role in these catastrophic bushfires across Australia. And then beyond that, to come back with a three-word slogan, um, which is factually incorrect and, and relies upon uh, using carryover credits of, of previous work done by former governments, you know, I just hope the public starts to see through some of this and, and recognise that there has to be substance behind our leaders. And, and even if you don't agree with all of their views, there has to be common human decency and empathy. And I think that's what was most missing um, with his actions, you know, forcing people to shake hands and, you know, going to a fire area and not bringing any food or snacks for firefighters, you know, it's the kind of thing where you or I or any of the listeners here, if, you, if you're going to visit an area in your job and, and you know that most of them are in fighting fires for days or weeks, you know, grab a six-pack of, you know, sparkling water or beer along the way, you know, throw some muesli bars in your car. And I think the public saw that, you know, the sort of person who doesn't think about others in that way is, is potentially not the per- sort of person we want leading our country. So the Prime Minister's indicated he's going to pivot on climate change. Is that the best we can expect, a three-word slogan? Uh, look, that's what they've come up with to date. Uh, you know, they meet and beat the Kyoto targets. Um, I think this was his moment to potentially put the Conservatives in line over climate change. And, and you know, if 97, whatever the numbers are, 97, 98, 99% of scientists uh, support climate change, why is it that it's only in this area that we choose to ignore them? Or, you know, to look at another analogy, if 97 scientists said that bridge is dangerous, don't cross it, would you still go across the bridge? And and I think he, he really has some internal battles to fight in his party to stabilise the fact that you just saw the international coverage. Australia is starting to look like a prior state in this area, joining the leagues of, of countries that are run by destitute despots and pariahs uh, themselves, um, we really need to step up. And I mean, consider climate denialism is really only an issue in the English-speaking world and really only an issue in a few countries. It's just detaching us and, and placing our international reputation further at risk. You campaigned very successfully in 2019 on a few issues, including Brunei and the death penalty. What can we expect from you in 2020? 
Look, I think uh, I've, I've got involved with a few different community groups and stepped up on a few community boards. I think they're a bit more focused on, on the environment and, and sustainability. I'm particularly concerned about um, the religious, religious quote-unquote, apartheid bill. I think there'll be continued activism along that space and, and trying to support a number of our community organisations who are fighting for this, you know, Equality Australia, the various health organisations, a, a lot of the smaller community groups are all trying to... Uh, gather together and, and fight things like religious discrimination. And we've just got to be continually focused on the international as well and recognising that in the LGBTI community there's issues further afield that we've got a responsibility to look out for. And then a the personal passion of mine, which has been active for a little while involving, is growing the amount of funding and money that goes to the LGBTI space, not just from governments but from philanthropy in the community. And um, I was very heavily involved last year with uh, Give Out Day, which raised about $90,000 for LGBTI organisations. We're hoping to beat that this year as well. So we've got Give Out Day coming along in October. So I think they'll be the, the priorities of the year and uh, hopefully uh, continuing to spend more time with my uh, little Italian greyhound who is uh, sitting at my feet at this very moment. So um, but I think they'll be the, the political and uh, campaign aspirations for 2020. What corporations can we expect you to hit up for money for the LGBTIQ community? Look, I think the question now needs to be asked for a lot of corporate organisations. You know, they've, they've often picked the easy charities to support or the politically correct ones. I think it's probably time to uh, ask them to be a bit more meaningful and intentful and, and, you know, genuinely put some money beyond the simple and easy causes and solutions, recognising that for the LGBTI community across almost every indicator, um, there is disadvantage, there is disproportionate uh, and less proportionate funding uh, and disproportionate issues across health and wellbeing and homelessness and, and things like that. And corporate Australia will definitely jump on board on things like marriage equality and they'll jump on board in relation to things like education and scholarships. And my hope is, and, and I will definitely be putting pressure on a number that I'm engaging and working with, that the LGBTI and pride groups will start to look at more controversial issues, whether they be transgender and gender diverse support, whether they be things like homelessness or mental health, whether they be supporting LGBTI arts, whether that improve representation in media and, and community and things like that. So, look, I think they were very good for marriage equality, corporate Australia. Um, I think there's more to the LGBTI community than just marriage equality, and I'm really hopeful this year we'll see a few more corporates step up and, and perhaps match or bankroll some funds into a variety of organisations in the LGBTI community, which are quite small um, when it comes to their funding base. Speaking of representation, last time you were on the show, you called on the Labor Party in Victoria to increase its number of LGBTIQ community members in Parliament. I think we've got one out person currently in the Victorian State Parliament for the Labor Party. Has the Premier's office reacted? Uh, has ALP head office responded? Oh, look, uh, no, I have a great relationship with uh, a number of our members and ministers and caucus and obviously the state office and, and all I am at the moment is, is merely, merely a member of the Labor Party. But I will continue to remind and, and continue to agitate over the fact that Victoria has the lowest, both in real numbers and in percentage terms, of LGBTI representation on any parliament in Australia. So every single state, territory and federal parliament has higher proportionate and higher real numbers of LGBTI people uh, in elected positions. And I think there is a pink ceiling or a rainbow ceiling in Victoria when it comes to parliamentary representation. And I'm hopeful that in the next state election and, and in a lot of the casual vacancies that might occur between now and then, that both sides of politics are increasing their LGBTI representation because Victoria has been lagging in this for quite a while. And that representation is important, and particularly when it is so low in Victoria, we really need to 
to consider how progressive we are if we can't get LGBTI people elected to, to both sides of Parliament. So I will definitely keep agitating on that. Um, I speak regularly to my colleagues in Rainbow Labor. But, uh, and what are they saying? Holding. Rainbow Labor is obviously very supportive of that as well. They see a need for representation across all levels of politics and you know, we'll continue to, to agita- agi- agitate and campaign around that and... and uh, my counterparts over at uh, Liberal Pride, I think, are feeling the same way as well. So, you know, we do need to improve, but um, we also need all Victorians to stand up and say, you know, if we want to be a progressive state and we want to be diverse, that includes having a broad representation of LGBTI people in Parliament, or at least as many representatives in percentage or real terms as any other state in Australia. And, and at the moment, we are horrifically behind on all of those counts. So it doesn't sound like the Premier's taken any concrete steps to address the issue of LGBTIQ representation in, in Parliament. I haven't heard anything, but look, I'm hopeful there's midsummer coming up and, and there's always a, a sort of a LGBTI-friendly atmosphere in, in that regard. But with a lot of those issues, political Premiers, leaders of the opposition, ministers and shadow ministers and caucus will defer to the party's rules or to the party in these sorts of areas. From my perspective, I just want a few more LGBTI people to start talking about it and, and start putting their name up and, and start agitating and nominating for positions in, in both political parties. And, you know, if we can get a few more people involved in politics or joining those parties, um, that would be a great way to start it. So, look, uh, I'm not holding my breath for a, a call from anyone uh, on either political party, but um, they've definitely been very supportive of, of my endeavours over the years and, and I hope they'll continue to do so for other LGBTI people who are going to step up in years to come. In August, you announced on the show that you won't be contesting the seat of Paran at the 2022 state election. How has the Labor caucus reacted to that? How has the Premier reacted? I mean, it must have been a disappointment to him considering you were probably his best chance of winning the seat. Look, I've, I've given uh, the seat of Pran two shots and, and I think um, the people of Pran have, have voted differently on both those occasions and, and I have to respect their wishes. And, and for those reasons, I think it's uh, it's time for somebody else to, to step up and stand and, and be the Labor Party candidate for the seat of Pran. So I won't be contesting in the seat of Pran again. But um, How did know, the Premier react, very... though, when you announced that you wouldn't <laughs> do it? I actually haven't heard from him in relation to that, but um, you know, internal matters of pre-selection are often uh, deferred back to the party. So, you know, I'm not necessarily sure that uh, comment would have been given. But, um, you know, I'm a proud member of the Labor Party and will always be involved um, in lots of projects across the Labor movement. But uh, after two shots in Pran, I think it's time for um, some other people to step up and I'll definitely be supporting whoever does step up in Pran. But also, if there's any LGBTI candidates stepping up on any political party uh, across Victoria, I think supporting them is critical. So, um, and whether that be sharing sort of some of the issues and concerns or, or knowledges or, or things that occur during a campaign, there's a great network federally, and I think we need to start to build that across Victoria if we wish to keep our progressive uh, progressive mandate and progressive uh, branding as a state. Uh, I think we need more LGBTI people in Parliament. Who would you like to see step up and run for Paran for Labor? Oh, look, I, I, there's a few locals who have uh, been in the branch for a number of years. No, no, I won't be naming anyone uh, on radio and throwing them in the deep end, but we have got a, a great group involved with um, the Pran Labor Party branch here. You know, there's a great diversity of people. It's a really active branch. Um, there's quite a few members. They're involved in things like state conference um, and always happy for people to get in touch and, and happy to connect them with the party if they're interested in getting involved, particularly in the Pran area, but um, also more generally if you're an LGBTI person interested in getting involved in politics. Um, I was fortunate enough to have 
some mentoring when I lived in the US for a year um, from the Democrat side of things, and that was really um, invaluable around some of the things I've been involved with. So extending that off to help others, because I do think um, we've all got a role to play in, in supporting more LGBTI people into Parliament. Of course, Midsummer does kick off on Sunday. Where can people expect to see you popping up at festival events? I know you've got your fans who always like to say day. Where can they expect to see you? I'll definitely be at Midsummer on Sunday. I'll probably be getting there mid-afternoon. I'm still working out whether I'll bring uh, the dog along with me, but uh, I think it will be a group of mates and a few beers maybe a wine or cider uh, and a Sunday afternoon hang. So I'll be there from sort of midday onwards and um, probably float around a few of the stalls. I always like to do a lap or two and and see what's new and what's happening. Um, But I might be leaving Milo at home uh, depending on how he's feeling, but I'll definitely be there for midsummer. And looking forward to some of the arts events that are coming up too. So I always find midsummer's a great great day um, over in the in the park and then uh, of course Pride March which is coming up as well so and I think the weather's cleared we'll have hopefully some nice weather and, and we'll no smoke. some of the smoke yeah I was going to say some of the smoke is gone which is uh, a great thing too alright Neil awesome stuff thanks for joining us on 3CR hope to chat again thanks James always a pleasure have a great day cheers you too Neil Farrow there talking about politics in 2020 you're listening to 3CR Radio Joined on the line by Jason Twaz on Machine. Jason organised Better Together, a really successful conference held for the LGBTIQA community here in Melbourne recently. Jason, welcome to 3CR. Hi, James. Good to be here. Jason, it was a hugely successful conference. What was the main focus and what were the highlights for you? Well, it was our third national conference and to have over 750 people participate over the three days was quite overwhelming. And for the first time, we had over 40 or 50 people with disability participate and they had the standalone plenary which was amazing Our bisexual plenary with dr robin oaks from the u.s was extraordinary we had like a national group of bisexual advocates now together and we had over 68 sessions so that was i mean the big highlight was just to see such intersectionality happen you know in and, and to look at ourselves face to face and see what we actually look like as a bunch of people in the lgbtiqa plus spaces so what's your secret how did you get over 700 people together for a conference in early january that's quite extraordinary Yes, yeah, extraordinary. The first one had over 600. The second one was sold out in Sydney with over 400. And this one, we had capacity for 750 and we exceeded that. Hard work, lots of conversations, trying to you know take all the feedback on and improve it and, and make it accessible. Plus, we provided over 30% of the attendees came on scholarships, which was amazing um, that we could even fund that, um, providing accessibility because people who are on the front line don't have much when it comes to resources and they should be at conferences like this. I mean, it's the whole idea is better together and that we need each other and across the letters and inside of our letters and then with our allies as well. So, yeah, hard work, lots of conversations and uh, probably four and a half years of work. How did you fund it? Puzzle piece. Puzzle <laughs> um, piece? Grants, yeah, puzzle pieces, grants, um, donations, ticket sales. The Williamstown Town Hall, which is our venue for this year's Better Together, gave us an extraordinary deal and they were fantastic logistically behind the scenes. Um, and lots of volunteers. So, you know, Thorn Harbour provided volunteers. Switchboard um, managed our quiet room. Thorn Harbour gave us our um, councillors. We had four councillors, five councillors actually on site over the two days. We got a grant for the Auslan interpretation and everyone donates their time. So all those 68 sessions and every single speaker, no one was paid for their participation. We did help with some travel for our overseas guests. And we found, you know, gaps for people who needed to travel, like Transfolk WA, some of them. We helped them with their travel expenses to get over. It was a real puzzle piece. I can't, I haven't gone through the whole debrief yet. It only happened last weekend to sort of go through everything. But it, it, if you can make it happen, you can actually bring equity when you need to. 
So do you find yourself keeping track of all those issues that people in the LGBTIQ community say aren't getting a Guernsey, aren't getting coverage? Do you find yourself keeping a log of those issues and then somehow piecing them all together for this conference? Yeah, we do. So we've had caucuses. So the central piece of the conference are are caucuses. So they're discussions for people inside their different identities. So we have a a lesbian, a gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, people of colour, people with disability, deaf, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, elders... Uh, caucuses, so people who self-identify and meet for two hours and have a discussion and what's most important to them at this point in time, and we've got all that data. And the Health Alliance helped us um, collate all that this year and we'll get access to that shortly, um, probably in a couple of weeks. And then it feeds back into what we're doing and what's happening. And, and then all the sessions for all three years, they'll be on a website sometime soon. We're just trying to find the funds to host it with Joy FM. We've recorded all the sessions. And so there'll be literally um, 150 different podcasts of raw data, you know, because we've got asexual based community sessions, there's queer refugee sessions, there are allies sessions with external organisations and people who work with us, you know, deaf sessions, people of colour sessions, religious faith sessions. Um, There's so much diversity. Sex work sessions we'll have next year for the first time. It's just really an amazing, diverse group of people and to bring them all together under one roof and look each other in the eye instead of on social media is quite confronting and to rub shoulders you know even to have you know there must have been a dozen people in wheelchairs and people have to navigate the spaces differently when you've got you know people with disability in your spaces when you um, are able-bodied our intersex community did their national retreat right before the conference and we had a day-long trans and gender-diverse non-binary day caucus day for the first time pre-conference that came out of their normal two hours the whole day and 90, it sold out, 90 transgender diverse people from all over Australia had the day together working through what was important to them. So it sounds like you managed any lateral hostility within the community that may have emerged over the three days. Well, we tried. We, when we had counsellors, we had um, a quiet room. We take a lot of feedback. There was still some. It's You know, we're a very diverse space and a difficult space. And when you um, are literally looking at each other, you know, face-to-face in the eye, not, we don't have to all agree. In fact, I opened up the Transgender Diverse Caucus. I said a couple of words before I left the space to say, you know, we don't have to love each other. We don't even have to be friends. But the work that has to be done is huge, and we need to um, collaborate to get where we need to go faster. There's no point being siloed or being on our own. There's more power when we work together. What are those issues where some of that hostility emerged? Look, everyone's got differences of opinions about everything. So you've got political differences, whether you're you know, left-leaning, left-leaning or right-leaning. There are, you know, what does it mean to be a queer person? What does it mean to be a lesbian person? What does it mean to be a transgender diverse person? It's different for everyone. And to be able to put, you know, gosh, there's a lot of stories I could tell you, but to be able to put them to the side and go, actually, this is another human being I need to work with, this is someone who I may have disagreed with about something in the past, but our higher goals of what we want to do are more important to put them aside. I think that's a mature and, and growth um, mindset that's, that's, you know, it's, it's hard work. I think because it's all hard work. I think the, the work, we've got a policy guide that we've updated again now it's on our website. Over 500 people and organisations have already accessed it. That's 60 pages long now that has come out, it's constantly being updated and it's consulted around what needs to be done for full inclusion for LGBTIQA plus people. And it's, you know, it's a lot of, there's a lot of work there and everyone has different opinions about how to achieve those outcomes and that's where that happens. But it's very hard to face-to-face do that violence towards someone where it's very easy online to do that. 
Absolutely. Some sections of the community are campaigning very hard on religious discrimination and the religious freedom debate. It sounds like your conference provided some space to deal with issues beyond that. That must have been pretty refreshing for a lot of participants. Yeah, it was amazing. The opening plenary is two hours. And I think there were 17 different participants in that two hours. So it was like a pizza with a lot. And, uh, and religious freedom discussion wasn't actually in the opening plenary. But we had everything from um, Daniel McDonald, who is a, an, an Aboriginal deaf artist, to a, a lesbian policewoman from Queensland, to um, a trans uh, sex worker from South Australia, to another young um, queer pansexual person who has had suicide ideation in the last year, who's young and beautiful, share their stories to an Aboriginal elder from WA. She shared her story. And it was just this microcosm of what it is and what we look like nationally. To sit there and take it in and understand that, gee, there are so many different diverse voices. You know, And from the stage, there was an asexual person shared their you know, their story and what their organisation is doing. And plus, it's been a gathering place. So there was a discussion during the conference around the religious freedoms debate, which is really important. But there were discussions about all sorts of weird and wonderful areas. And the even the ally sessions were quite amazing. We, and our four international guests, we had Mr Gay India from Bangalore and, um, as I said, Robin Oaks from North America. We had C.N. Lester, who's a trans activist and pianist from England, who was just amazing, who played on Friday night, actually, and made pretty much everyone in the audience cry. And she participated fully in the conference. Like, it's just, uh, everyone sort of threw themselves in, took a break when they needed to. There were lots of people having dinners and meals with each other, and lots of conversations and lots of interaction where people, you know, rubbed up against each other in a good way and also in an not-so-good way. And then you learn something. Were there any issues that kept coming up that surprised you? What surprises me is that we have such high opinions of our own selves sometimes um, and we don't really recognise that there are others in, in our space, others that are affected by our words. That comes up a lot. Um, That's interesting, isn't it, considering how much hostility there is in the community but also how much low self-esteem there is. It's interesting that oh, that's often expressed through what sounds like arrogance. Absolutely. And, and even there was, you know, one, this, we had Oslo interpretation. So those the deaf people who were there and the interpreters who were there, the interpreters in particular are doing a work, they're working, right? And sometimes some of the things the hearing person does, which are then signed, to get them to say or, or, or sign some words is really offensive and, and kind of abusive in a workplace way. And that might be someone from another marginalised community and, and they don't understand this other marginalised community. So, it's, But when you engage and you, you see face-to-face, you know, you, someone in a wheelchair is coming past, do you ignore them? Do you talk to them? Uh, how do you engage with that person when there's, um, you know, acknowledging our first peoples and, and there was a panel of five Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people having a discussion about what was important to them, to be able to sit there and listen um, and understand that they have lateral violence in their own spaces, never mind what we've done to them. And pre the first Better Together a couple of years ago, the intersex community had been, you know, really worked over by the LGBT space. And they're now back in the fold and we're working as allies with them. And the bisexual community launched their Melbourne and Sydney bi networks in the first two conferences. And this year, at their standalone plenary, it was a national collective of bisexual uh, advocates and international Robin. And it was just amazing to sit and listen and see where they're all at. It doesn't sound like anyone could accuse Better Together of committing any form of erasure. That's quite an achievement. No, we, no, it's that we were trying to do the opposite and, and then every time we keep extending the intersection, there's more work to do. And so all that feedback now is fed back in and I'm actually standing right in front of the Adelaide Convention Centre as I speak, that's why I'm on the phone with you, um, which is the, the venue for January 21 
workforce better together. And we've got capacity for 900 people and fully accessible spaces. And it's just an amazing venue, actually. And I can't wait to, to see what happens there. And we're going to focus on our sage, our elders, our seniors. And we're going to focus on intersections between them and younger people and allies focus. So a really strong intentional stream around engaging people not from our spaces safely so they don't get their heads bitten off. And we'll have a um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander standalone plenary for the first time. So we just keep just keep moving and working and, and it's exciting because I, I say let's embrace all the diversity we can and understand it's okay that people are different to me and to you and each other and that actually it's okay to disagree about some things. But it, it is not okay to understand that we have so much work to do and to not actually try and work together to get some of those things done. And the religious freedom is one of the things that needs to be done, but there's 60 pages in our policy guide of work that needs to be done, and it's a lot of work. Absolutely. I don't want us to take 15 years like we did with marriage equality, that we can do things faster. You're from the Equality Project, it runs better together. Tell us the backstory that led you to establish the organisation. Well, it came out of um, the Australian Equality Party and the marriage campaign that I was involved in for a long time, meeting everybody and then finding out that we used to have a homosexual conference in the 70s and 80s where everyone came together. It was kind of underground because we were illegal and a mental health illness and there were no discussions of broader you know, gender identities and sexualities. And it was like, why are we not coming together again? We've come around together on HIV or health or histories. And so we spent 18 months consulting and bringing everyone together and almost 700 people came to the first conference. And um, the other thing that came out of that is we now run leadership and advocacy training programs around the entire country. And we've trained over a 1,000 advocates from Perth to Brisbane and North and Australia and, and Tasmania for two days or more um, in cost-effective, really good advocacy to um, you know, empower them for the sake of empowering them. So it came out of that work and just understanding there's a gap. We need to come together and um, and we are actually better together. Like some people ask me, what's the theme of this year's conference? And I say, well, it's just better together. We haven't mastered that yet. <laughs> on the funding front, uh, any federal government funding on the horizon? Hope so. We're fully DGR status health promotion charity. We're always looking for partners and support. Just contact us on our website at equality.org.au. What's really important is that literally 31% of all of our attendees, so the 2,500 who've come to our conferences, the 1,000 who've studied in our training programs, 30% have come on scholarships, which are either free or very, very heavily reduced. And, and that bringing equity where it's missing is really, really important. And, you know, we just continue to keep working towards grants and donations and keeping things affordable and getting good deals for our venues and our sponsors and supporters because we get a lot of in-kind hosting of our events too that um, it just makes it work because the work is really important and I just don't think things of value are easy. Absolutely. Jason, congratulations on a hugely successful Better Together and uh, sounds like it's going to be even better in 2021. Thanks so much for joining us today on 3CR. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cheers.
In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their financial support of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities. A future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more about them, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or find them on Facebook. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.